the Oncazine Brief with Peter Hoffland and Sonia Portillo. For this edition of the Oncazine Brief, we sat down with Dr. Steve Banner, Senior Vice President and Therapeutics Area Head of Oncology at Estellas Pharmaceuticals, and Mark Reisenauer, Senior Vice President Oncology Business Unit at the same company. Dr. Banner and Mr. Reisenauer joined us to discuss data of a number of Estella's highly targeted oncology agents, which represented and discussed at this year's annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, which took place on June 2nd till the 5th in Chicago, Illinois. These targeted therapies focus on meeting the needs of hard-to-treat patients that are typically faced with low chances of survival. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Hofland, here with Sonia Portillo, and this is the Ongris in Brief. Mark Reisenauer earned his degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Over the past decades, he had various sales and marketing leadership roles at Abbott, Pharmacia, Bristol-Myers Quip and AstraZeneca. Mark joined Estellas in 2011, where he now serves as a C- Mark again. Mark joined Estellas in 2011, where he now serves as a senior vice president in the oncology business unit, and is a member of Estellas U.S. Management Committee. Dr. Benner received his bachelor's degree from the University of Chicago his doctorate from the University of Missouri Columbia School of Medicine, and his Master of Health Science degree from the John Hopkins University School of Public Health. He has taught medicine at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center and the University of North Carolina, and he has held roles as Vice President and Chief Medical Officer at a number of companies before serving as the Senior Vice President and Therapeutic Area Head of Oncology at Estella's. Estellas currently has several highly targeted drugs in development and clinical trials, one of which is the antibody drug conjugate, or ADC, and fortumab vidotin, which is demonstrating promising results for metastatic urothelial cancer patients that fail checkpoint inhibitor therapies, which are up to 80% of these patients. Yes, and for these patients, there are currently no approved therapeutic options if they fail checkpoint inhibitor therapies. So the development of novel targeted therapies is really important. Another agent in development includes a treatment for relapsed or refractory acute myeloid leukemia, which targets an FLT3 mutation that is seen in about 30% of these patients. This investigational drug shows deep molecular responses and is currently in a phase 3 trial. We also discuss enzalutamide, a drug that is already approved for metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer and which is now being further investigated. Prostate cancer tops the list of cancer diagnosis in men, and it's the second leading cause of cancer deaths. This group of patients is especially in need of new treatments, since once prostate cancer is metastasized, survival chances drop significantly, going from a five-year survival rate of 99% to one of just 28%. And lastly, we discussed a drug called IMAB362, an agent which showed impressive results in combination with chemotherapy in a study that was presented at last year's ASCO. Dr. Benner and Mark Reisenauer discuss with us how these drugs work and what to expect in the future. After the break, we're back with Dr. Benner and Mark Reisenauer.
Steve Mark, uh, welcome to the Oncology Group here at the 53rd annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology called ASCO. Looking at some of the exciting presentations that are uh, being presented here over the last couple of days, what are some of the things that we should pay attention to? I'm impressed by the continual ev evolution of immuno-oncology. We're seeing a lot of uh, abstracts and poster presentations that are showing impressive results. We're also seeing interesting work done in combination to try and maximize the potential of these agents. So you mentioned, uh, or uh, one of the terms that we hear often here is immuno-oncology as a term. Can you briefly explain what that means? Sure. Uh, you can think of the immuno-oncology agents as um, different types of drugs that harness the body's own immune system to attack the cancer cells. Our immune system was essentially created to fight and kill off infections, but in cancer many times um, the body is not able to detect the cancer and, and thus uh, invoke the immune system. These new agents actually help the body to both detect and to take out the cancer cells. So when we look at immuno-oncology, when we look at some of the new developments within uh, the oncology arena, uh, one of the terms that we often hear are antibody drug conjugates, uh, a novel kind of approach to the treatment of cancer. Uh, in, in very short, uh, can you explain what those drugs are? Antibody drug conjugates allow us to use antibody technology to hit a specific target that we think is differentially expressed on cancer cells. In some cases, simply hitting the target or binding an antibody to the target is not an effective way to kill the cancer cell. So the, what the ATC technology does is allows you to link to the antibody a very potent chemotherapy agent. For the ADCs, they are initially bound to the cancer cells for that external target, then they're internalized, the linker is cleaved, and the toxin is released into the cells, and that kills the cancer cells. Now, how important are those new drugs? And if you, for example, look uh, at the benefit to patients, how do patients really benefit from this new approach? Well, certainly anytime you can deliver a targeted therapy uh, differentially to the tumor, that's attractive. From the patient perspective, we would expect that ADCs would have better toxicity profiles than would traditional systemic chemotherapy. And overall, I mean, there are different targets, there are different approaches to uh, or with antibody drug conjugates. I think there are two on the market uh, right now, and I think there are more than 100 or close to 100 in, in clinical development. Uh, if you look at those drugs, um, in general, are they being used in an adjuvant setting uh, or in a new adjuvant setting, like after surgery or before surgery? Typically, they're, they're being developed and used in advanced disease. and. That's uh, in large part not the only place where they might be effective, but because of the nature of the trials that need to be done to get these drugs approved and then fully used throughout all the areas of cancer treatment where they might be effective. Now, your company is involved in the development of antibody drug conjugates, um, a company called Estalis. Can you tell me a little bit more about the company, um, where you come from, and what, what, what you're doing? Sure. Uh, Estalis is a Japanese-based company, uh, but we're global in our presence. We've been in oncology for about 10 years, um, and uh, we have two marketed products in the United States currently. One is Tarceva for lung cancer, uh, and the other is Extandia or Enzalutamide for prostate cancer. Um, the development of our pipeline has been done both organically as well as through many partnerships, and uh, I'll let Steve talk about some of our late-stage assets. So when you uh, 
look at some of the, the pipeline that you refer to, I mean, in the drugs that you have in development as well as um, on the market. Uh, my understanding is that with that growing pipeline, you have about 20 molecular entities that are being developed in a phase uh, two trials or up to phase two trials, and then about 40 of them are um, in different phases. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. That's that's for the company as a whole across all the therapeutic areas. Um, Stellis is a traditionally uh, Japanese company, does a lot of development for agents within Japan, and many of those trials and agents would account for that. And so when you when you look at the uh, available drugs or the drugs in development, how different are they um, in, in, in treating cancers or helping patients? We have three agents that have all reached proof of concept in cancer, which we feel are unique and um, potentially important additions to cancer therapy. One of them actually is an antibody drug conjugate. That's a drug called infortimabidotin. This is an ADC that we're developing with Seattle Genetics. It came from a, a subsidiary of Estellus called Agensis, which was acquired in, in 2007 and is really devoted to the development of antibody drug conjugates. And Fortimabidotin is the first of those drugs that has moved now to Estellus Global Development for the late stage registrational trials. This particular antibody binds to Nectin-4, um, which is very highly expressed on tumor cells that originate from the, the lining of the, the, uh, the bladder, it's what we call metastatic uroepithelial cancer. We've done a, a phase one study, and actually at this ASCO meeting, Dr. Dan Petrolak from Yale is going to present an update of that study, which has shown single agent activity in patients with metastatic uroepithelial cancer. In this phase one study, the first portion was uh, dose finding in, a, in an effort to understand the pharmacokinetics and the toxicity associated with the compound. And then there are subsequent expansion cohorts. 68 patients have been enrolled in that study, and we've seen a response rate of about 40%. That's impressive given that these patients had, uh, for the most part, been exposed to two or more prior therapies. Obviously, with each additional line of therapy, the patients tend to become less responsive to treatment. In that study, we enrolled patients that, some of whom had been exposed to a prior checkpoint inhibitor, and many of whom, about 40%, had had liver metastases, which is a poor prognostic, prognostic sign. What impressed us was that both in patients that were previously exposed to a checkpoint inhibitor and patients that have liver metastases, the response rates were about the same as the overall population. We're in the process of designing trials that we hope will lead to, to global approval of this, one of which would focus on the treatment of metastatic uroepithelial cancer in patients that have been exposed to a checkpoint inhibitor. Now, you mentioned uh, checkpoint inhibitors, and uh, if I we did read this correctly in the abstract. It actually referred to checkpoint inhibitors. Um, about 40% of, of, of patients that are successfully treated with this particular agent that you're developing are, uh, are have failed or are failing with checkpoint inhibitors. That's right. They've had prior exposure. These are PD-1 or PD-L1 antibodies that are increasingly being used in bladder cancer and are a great addition to the armamentarium. Unfortunately, they don't work in the majority of patients, and patients, even that do get an initial response, ultimately require additional therapies, and that's why we think that there's a role for infortimabidotin that could be quite important. 
So in, in overall, when you look at this particular drug, um, where what, what is the end goal for you? I mean, is that progression-free survival? Is it stable disease? Is it potentially curative? Well, initially for the endpoints of the trial, we'll probably be looking at response rate because that's a good surrogate in, in, endpoint in these late-stage patient population. Ultimately, we want to have an impact on our overall survival. And, and when you uh, look at this drug, right now in uh, my understanding is phase one clinical trials, um, when do you expect this a drug like this to be on the market? Well, it's currently in a phase one study, as I said, which now is enrolling into four expansion cohorts. So that's more like a phase two component. Some of those cohorts would be up to 60 patients. Two of those cohorts are in metastatic uroepithelial cancer, one in patients that have been exposed to checkpoint inhibitors, the other in a group of patients that uh, are not able to be treated with a cisplatin agent, which is commonly used as a chemotherapy agent for bladder cancer. The two other cohorts are in ovarian cancer and non-small cell lung cancer, other places where the Nectin-4 target is expressed. Now, going back one step, I mean, you refer to Nectin-4, um, how many patients on, on average, I mean, it seems to be um, a, a very specific target, so how many patients overall would benefit from a therapy like this? Well, for within, the, within bladder cancer, it's unique that the target is so highly expressed that while we'd be looking at exp tumor expression as a biomarker, we don't have to select for it because the expression levels are so high across the full range of bladder cancer patients that we believe that this would be an effective therapy and would not require a companion diagnostic. And that's very interesting. Um, there are other drugs that you are developing as Estelis. Um, and, and tell me a little bit more. One is in, in AML or acute myeloid leukemia. Tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. Giltaritinib is a, an agent that we're developing. It came from our internal research laboratories in Scuba, Japan. It's both a FLIP3 and an axle inhibitor. We've uh, completed a trial, a phase 1-2 trial that's now in press, and it's most recently been pr presented at ASH in December 2016. A phase 1-2 study called Chrysalis, which showed that in patients with relapsed or refractory AML, these are patients that have failed induction chemotherapy or unfortunately had a relapse, their treatment options are very limited and toxic, and the life, the life expectancy, unfortunately, is tragically short for those patients. So there's a real need for therapies. What we've specifically done is to develop an, an oral agent, a small molecule, that targets FLIP3, which is one of the most common mutations seen in AML. And in the Chrysalis trial, we were able to induce complete responses in this uh, difficult-to-treat patient population with this agent. Now, look, again, looking at this particular drug uh, in development, um, what is, where, where do you think it fits in in the uh, overall drug uh, paradigm? I, th I think that's a really interesting question. And what we're starting to do is the initial phase three was to focus on those patients that were very similar to the patient populations and patient population in the chrysalis trial. So we're treating patients with re relapsed refractory AML. But there's a need because of the presence of the FLIP3 mutation throughout all the different treatment phases of AML. And so we're doing a series of phase threes that will help us to explore and hopefully define the role of gilteritinib in those populations. And they would include treatment for patients that have undergone a stem cell transplant, treatment of patients that have completed um, induction chemotherapy in 
combination with chemotherapy for those patients that are unwell or unable to take in intensive uh, induction chemotherapy. We also have phase one ongoing where we'll give gilteritinib concomitantly with induction chemotherapy. So really the full range of treatment situations that we would expect an AML patient to face. Now, again, also for this particular drug, um, what is, how do you expect this to fit in? Are you looking for, for example, a progression-free survival, stable disease, disease cure, curation? I mean, again, just like the other drugs that we were talking about. We look for this, um, that we essentially have two endpoints that we're interested in. One is in complete response because we know that's a strong predictor of overall survival. We are also looking at overall survival in the phase three. What's interesting for ASCO this year is Dr. Altman from Northwestern University is actually going to present the first release of a, a data related to molecular response. Here we're using sophisticated uh, techniques to look for re residual cancer cells that have the FLT3 mutation. And what she'll describe is that gilteritinib is able to produce these deep molecular responses um, to, to create a state called minimal residual disease. And we know when that state is created with the administration of any agent in this setting that it correlates with an increase in overall survival. So not only does gilteritinib induce objective responses in terms of reduction in blast counts, but even at the molecular level we're seeing a reduction of disease that's really quite profound. And again, when do you expect this drug to be available for patients in the general population? The registrational trial, the Admiral Phase three trial, is ongoing and accruing well. We haven't publicly said when we'll be able to complete that trial. Um, it does have an, a survival endpoint, um, which is event-driven. Uh, but we're hoping that this will be within uh, within a, the next few years will be a, a new therapy that will be available to these patients. One of the other agents, and I hope I pronounced it the right way, is uh, in development is a drug called enzalutamide. Um, tell me a little bit more about this. Sure, enzalutamide is uh, already approved for metastatic castrate-resistant prostate cancer, uh, but we're also developing it for earlier stages of prostate cancer. Um, one example would be the PROSPER trial, which is in uh, M0 disease, uh, castrate-resistant. Uh, we're also uh, investigating it in the trial called ARCHES, which is in the uh, hormone-sensitive um, metastatic setting. Uh, and then lastly, we're, uh, there's a third trial called EMBARC, which is investigating enzalutamide uh, in men who have biochemical recurrence. And um, uh, this is, um, I think, our way of trying to fully um, develop enzalutamide to benefit as many men as possible who have prostate cancer. But I think what, what's also notable about the development, uh, the ongoing development of enzalutamide is we're also starting to look at uh, novel combinations of enzalutamide with other agents, and in particular, uh, immuno-oncology agents, um, seeing if there are additional benefits with those combinations. And um, again, when you're looking at uh, the, the treatment options that are being provided by this particular drug, um, where are you looking at? at, at uh, curative, are you looking at stable disease? I mean, yeah, I think it, much like in any other disease states, we're looking at um, delays in both progression and, and potential improvements in overall survival. And you said you mentioned that this drug is already on the market, um, not necessarily the indication that you're doing trying right now. So when do you expect that the extension uh, might be available to patients? 
Yeah, these are all event-based trials or event-driven trials, so that's really a matter of when those trials mature, but uh, they're in various stages of accrual right now, and um, we just have to wait and see once those events come in. So there's another drug called, and I hope I pronounced it right again, it's IMAP362. Um, where is it used for? What's being, what is the application? IMAP362 was initially discovered and the initial clinical development was done by Ganymed Pharmaceuticals. And it was presented last year at ASCO, the results of their randomized phase two study, the FAST study, where they treated patients with chemotherapy combined with the IMAP362 antibody or chemotherapy alone, and were able to show impressive improvements in both progression-free survival and overall survival. So, we believe that this could be a potential, uh, potentially valuable therapy for patients with gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. In addition, the targets also expressed in pancreatic cancer, and while we haven't done clinical investigation there yet, that's another area where there's an unmet need and a potential for this therapy. The antibody actually binds to a novel target called Claudin 18.2. This is a, a protein that's typically um, not exposed to antibodies because it helps hold the cells together, the gastric mucosa, and uh, regulates the, the flow between, the, between these cells. When cancer occurs, those cells become disrupted and the target starts to become expressed uh, at an increased level and become exposed um, so that it could be hit by an antibody. Uh, we believe that um, the IMAP362 in combination with chemotherapy um, could be potentially be an important treatment for gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. And again, with uh, where are you within the development of this particular drug? And just like with the other drugs that we were talking about, where, where are you looking at as the intended endpoint? Sure. Um, the trial um, we just completed the acquisition of the company late last year. We're in the process of auditing the data, um, plan, planning uh, a global, sub, sub, global submissions. Um, Ganymed uh, did excellent work. They were a small research-based biotech company, so they did most of their work uh, limited to uh, um, Germany and Eastern Europe. And so we're now doing the regulatory filings because we've developed drugs globally. Um, and that will lead us to trials which we hope will uh, provide our, uh, the basis for full approval throughout the world. I'd expect that those trials will, um, again, be chemotherapy with or without the antibody, and they'll be looking at um, uh, progression-free survival, overall survival as the primary means. And, um, of course, this, this is, drug is also in clinical trials. Um, so when, what, you, what you're hoping for when this is on the market? Well, what we'd hope is we would we would produce results in, in the registration trials that would show a substantial improvement in, of several months in uh, progression-free survival and overall survival. That's what was observed in the FAST study. This is a case where there is differential expression of the target, so we will be developing this antibody with a companion diagnostic. And we know that those patients that have the highest expression of the target appear to be those that gain the uh, the largest clinical benefit. So we'll be including assessments of the, that tum tumor uh, target expression within the clinical studies. You mentioned uh, clinical or uh, companion diagnostics. 
um, that, that goes towards the area of personalized or targeted therapies or um, precision medicine. Um, some of the drugs that you're developing require that, just like the one that you mentioned, INAPS 362, uh, others don't. Um, tell me a little bit more about the, the approach to uh, personalized medicine, targeted therapies, uh, precision medicine, and maybe some of the differences that you notice in the terminology, since you, most people, when asked this question, will answer completely different. And so it's kind of interesting for our listeners to, to hear what you, what you take is on this. Well, I'd say all of these are targeted therapies because their their effects are specific for certain aspects of the cancer cell. Whether or not they need a companion diagnostic is often something we don't know fully at the time that they're in early discovery. Obviously, for the FLT3 inhibitor, where we want a specific to treat a patient with a specific mutation, we would expect that that would be necessary. Um, it was. Um, bit of a surprise that the Nectin-4 was so highly expressed that we didn't in the setting of bladder cancer. But if we continue development in ovarian or non-small cell, we might, with the same antibody, we may still need a companion diagnostic pair. Um, so it varies from, from setting to setting. I think the overall trend that you see in oncology is our efforts to, to really demonstrate substantial benefits and to create value for patients in terms of really clinically meaningful outcomes. And our ability to, to deliver these drugs to those patients that are most likely, likely to benefit is an important aspect of that. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your uh, contribution to this program. Uh, and. Uh, we hope to hear in the future more about uh, the drugs that you are developing and success that uh, may be in helping patients to uh, have a better, better quality of life. Thank you. Thank you. It's very exciting to see that companies like Astellas are taking on these very hard-to-treat diseases that aren't responding to traditional treatments. Yes, some of these patients just aren't benefiting from the drugs that are currently available. But it's great to see the potential of new agents that could really make differences in metastatic and reoccurring disease. The interview you just heard with Mark Reisenauer and Dr. Steve Benner was originally recorded and broadcast during the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, held June 2nd through 5th in Chicago, Illinois. We know that based on this interview, you may have questions. So please submit your questions to our editorial team via email, Facebook, or Twitter. We'll post as many answers as we can on our website, ongerzine.com. That is O-N-C-O-Z-I-N-E dot com. Thank you all, and thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, here with Sonja Portillo, and this is the Ongerzine Brief. The Oncozine Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hoffman, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and InPress Media Group. Support for the Oncozine Brief comes from our listeners and commercial underwriters. For more information about underwriting options, contact Sean Mayer at 949 923 1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine related information and is provided for educational and informational purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice 
and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.